introduce and begin a brief, will be a fairly brief teaching series on the kingdom of God. What is it? What did Jesus say about it? Most importantly, why does it matter to you right now? The main thing I want to make sure you get this morning is that you are called, you were created, you are supposed to be a kingdom people working toward God's kingdom purposes. That God wants you joined together with other believers, working together toward his kingdom purposes. So to get us focused and moving, would you stand with me please this morning in honor of the word of God. We're going to read together 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 10. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 10. I'll read the plain text. If you're joining me reading the highlighted portions, that way we'll walk through the passage together. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4, this is what the Bible says. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. You may notice we're working on a new technology today. My finger has electric power in it, and when I do that, slides change. It's fantastic. Uh, uh, we're having some technical difficulties, so, uh, so you have to bear with us on that just a little bit. Hopefully you recognize at the end of that passage we just read, the last two verses, the memory work we've been working on together for about a month now, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And what I want to really focus on today is the fact that, that all this business about a royal priesthood and all this business about a holy nation means very simply that you are a kingdom people. You were created to be a kingdom people. You've been called to be a kingdom people. And if you are a follower of Jesus right now, God is working to fit you together and to shape you together with other believers around you to make you his kingdom people. And I want to begin this morning unpacking just a little bit of what that means and the implications for that in your life. The passage we read together just a moment ago begins with verse 4, and it says this, As you come to him, the living stone. We're talking here about Jesus. I need to stop right there. I need to stop right out of the gate. And I need to make it clear that everything begins with Jesus. You need to come to Jesus. Everything begins. Life really fundamentally begins when you come to Jesus. And I know many of you have already done that in this room. But I'm also confident some of you have not. And so I want to say 
very, very plainly. When we talk about the kingdom of God, when we talk about being and living like a kingdom people, we're not talking about live, being a good person. We're not talking about living a good life. We're not talking about being a nice guy. This past week, I had a two-and-a-half-hour lunch with someone who, who, who got a hold of me and said, listen, I want to ask you some questions about religion. I said, whoo Listen, dude, if somebody says, hey, I want, I want to talk to you about religion, I want, I want to ask you questions about God, I want to ask you questions about Jesus, man, that's like waving a bone in front of a hungry dog. I am all over that. And, and, and so I was stoked. I was excited. We got together for lunch this past week, and we had a little chit-chat for a while. And after a while, I said, so listen, tell me, what are your questions? Let me hear some of your questions. And, 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 and then they started. And for a long time, honestly, they just kind of dumped criticism. Criticisms about different churches, criticisms about different Christians. Some of their criticisms were about actual encounters they'd had with real Christians. And to be fair, some of their criticisms were justifiable. I sympathized where I could. I, I tried to explain things where I could. At one point, I even very gently pointed out that there's something internally inconsistent about judging people for being judgmental. But at any rate, I was eventually able to work the conversation around to the real heart of the matter. Because the real heart of the matter is always the same thing. The real heart of the matter is always Jesus. And who is Jesus? Why did he come? Why does it matter? And rather than tell them any of that, I asked, what do you think about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? And they told me. They tell me they believe Jesus is just like them. Jesus was a child of God. They're a child of God. And they're the same. Jesus came to show us how to live, and they just need to try and live like Jesus. Everything's cool. And basically, as far as they understood it, all boils down to this. You need to avoid greed and materialism. You need to be nice to people. And you need not to judge them and don't tell anybody else how they're supposed to live. And aside from the inherent logical comp compromise in say and telling everybody they can't tell anybody what to do the, the inherent contradiction there the real problem is this that's not at all who jesus is and that's not at all what jesus came to earth to do jesus is god in the flesh jesus came to restore you to god and the plan of god and the purpose of god in your life First and foremost, by dying for your sins, paying for your sins on a cross. And while Jesus absolutely taught and modeled how we are supposed to live, he also made it very clear, you can't do it. I can't do it without the power and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that only comes when you confess Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. Sadly, the person I had lunch with this week refused to see Jesus in that light and refused to come to Jesus in that way. And my point in sharing this with you this morning is this. Here's my point. Some people will say they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in him as he really is. They haven't come to Jesus as Savior and Lord, and so in some very fundamental way, they haven't really come to Jesus at all. 
right now in this very community, in this very neighborhood, there's, there's a group of people, wonderful, sweet, loving people, who are going around the neighborhood talking to children, talking to young people, inviting them to come to their weekly meetings, meetings where they sing songs, they give out snacks, they teach kindness and tolerance and good behavior. And, and they, they've invited some of our children that we work, re, work with in neighborhood outreach. And, and our children said, do you believe in Jesus? They say, yes, we believe in Jesus. But listen to me, they don't believe in Jesus. I know that because they're part of the Baha'i religion. They don't believe Jesus is Lord. They don't believe Jesus died for their sins. They don't believe Jesus is God and the only way to life and peace with God. In other words, they do not believe Jesus is who Jesus said he is. They believe Jesus is one of many different prophets, no different and no greater than Moses or Muhammad or the Buddha or the Bob, who is the main prophet of Baha'i. They say they believe in Jesus, but that's only after they redefine Jesus in their own image. It's like me saying to you, you know, you know my son Alex, you believe I have a son Alex, you know the one I'm talking about. He's the petite blonde with the long hair and the pink dress, and you'll frequently see him carrying a purse around. You know my son. That, yeah, there he is. But that image doesn't describe my son Alex any more than some people's image of Jesus describes Jesus. Life begins when you come to Jesus as he really is. If you come to him, you must come to him as he is. If you receive him, you must receive him as he is. If you're going to believe in Jesus, then you have to believe in him as he is. And Jesus is the Son of God and God's Son, King of kings and Lord of lords, the only uh, one and only Savior of the world, God, and the only way to God. And listen, the Bible's very clear. Not everyone will come to Jesus like that. Not everyone will come to Jesus as he really is. Though he's sent by the Father, precious to the Father, the Bible is still clear, uh, he is routinely rejected by men. Not everyone will follow Jesus, not everyone will come to Jesus as he is. There is this unavoidable division in the world today. Everyone is made in the likeness and the image of God. But not everyone becomes part of his kingdom people. If however you do, if you come to Jesus as he is and you recognize Jesus for who he is and you commit to follow him for who he is, well, the passage continues. And if you follow Jesus as he really is, the Bible says this, says you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. In other words, if you have come to Jesus as he really is, then he is right now trying to shape you and form you and mold you into something new. He is trying to shape you and fit you together with the other believers around you into his kingdom people so you can do his kingdom work. If you're really cooperating with Jesus, then you're letting him shape you and mold you and change you moment by moment and day by day. If you're really submitting to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, then you are being built into a spiritual house 
and you are becoming a holy priesthood, which means, by the way, you can no longer simply do what you want. You can no longer simply live your own way. You can no longer simply go your own way. You can no longer simply do your own thing. You must learn to fit in to the kingdom thing. Find your part and place in God's kingdom thing. When you're really walking with Jesus, you're less concerned with your will than you are committed to the will of God. You're less obsessed with, with your own vision and your own mission and your own goals for your life. And you're looking to fit into his corporate vision and his corporate mission and his kingdom goals for the world. And the truth is, this is a huge shift in thinking for most evangelical Christians today. Francis Chan writes about it in one of his books. He came to this realization that, that he had been living one way as an evangelical Christian and God was really expecting something different and he started teaching it in his church. He tells a story about a young man who came to him and said, Francis, it's fantastic what you're teaching, but it's like you've changed all the rules. And he explained it this way, which I thought was brilliant. This young man came and said, for years I understood, I thought, I was taught salvation is all about a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and, and so I, I focused, me and Jesus, me and Jesus, me and Jesus. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. It's like someone gave me a pair of skates, the kid said. And, and so I took them and I ran off and I, and I went to a skating rink and I started learning tricks and I started learning twirls. And for years I've been twirling around by myself in the skating rink, enjoying my skates, having fun, me and Jesus, me and Jesus. And now you're telling me. The real reason I was given the skates is because I'm supposed to be part of a hockey team that's trying to win a championship. That's a brilliant analogy. You're supposed to be part of a team. You're supposed to be part of a kingdom working to accomplish a kingdom purpose. It's very offensive in an individually oriented culture. When you really come to Jesus, you become part of the corporate reality that is his kingdom. And you learn to find your place in his corporate purpose. You learn to find your place oh, whoops, in his kingdom purpose. Working together for his kingdom purposes. One of our core values here at Resurrection Church is that we are a people connected. Connected to God, connected to each other. And we're not just connected to each other, to love each other and take care of each other and look out for each other. That's important that we do that. But we're also supposed to be connected to each other to work together, to labor together to advance the kingdom purposes of God. In about three weeks, we're going to send you a spiritual gifts assessment tool. I'm going to encourage everyone here to take it and send the results back to the church office. Our desire is to help you discover the unique individual ways God has equipped you as a unique individual to help you fit together with the rest of us, to work together to build his kingdom. Because if you really have come to Jesus as he is, it's time for us to join together and work together to bring his kingdom to the people around us. The next verse says this. It says, for in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. I just have to say as an aside, the last part of this verse is really meaningful to me because in my life, honestly, as a kid at least, I spent a lot of time in shame. 
as a little guy, as a young guy in elementary school in particular, I, I was shy, I was pudgy, I was nerdy. I was a socially awkward only child. I never felt like I had the right clothes. I never really felt like I fit in. And, uh, and it, was, it was difficult. Started changing a little bit when I got to junior high and high school. Some of that began to change. But I got to tell you, the old insecurities dogged me for a very, very long time. I was never really sure if I measured up. I was never really confident people actually liked me. And so I overcompensated at every opportunity, especially in academics, but really in everything. I had to, be, had to be first. I had to win. I had to be on top. I had to look like I had it all together. I still remember the extraordinary fear I lived with, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of not measuring up, fear of people not liking me. Fear of people finding out I'm not as cool as I was trying to look like I was. Fear of being embarrassed and fear of being ashamed. But when you really come to Jesus, and when you meet him as he really is, the Bible says the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Jesus loves you, and he receives you just like you are. He loves you and he receives you warts and all. He loves you and receives you good hair day, bad hair day. He doesn't care. Because he doesn't love you and receive you because you're so awesome. He loves you and he receives you because he's so awesome. And even when you blow it, and listen to me, God never wants you to blow it. But even when you do blow it, he's right there to help you pick up the pieces. That's why the very next verse begins this way. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. Actually, three times in this very short passage, Jesus is referred to as precious. Chosen by God and precious to him. A chosen and precious cornerstone. To you who believe, the stone is precious. The key here is the one in the middle, verse 6, because that's the one that makes it clear. Jesus is inherently precious. He's precious in and of himself. He's precious in his own right. He's precious by his very nature. And it's fascinating to me that even though Jesus is inherently precious, even though Jesus is obviously precious, so very many people never come to recognize that. That means right here, right now, in this very room, there is a distinction. There is a division. For some of you right here, right now, Jesus is precious to you. You love him and you cherish him and you think about him all the time. You'd rather have Jesus than anything else. There is nothing anyone could offer you, nothing anyone could do for you, nothing anyone could take from you that would cause you to give up your place with Jesus, your relationship with Jesus. I remember years ago, uh, on 60 Minutes, Dan Rather was doing an interview with Mother Teresa. She was working with, with the poorest, most disease-ridden uh, people in some of the filthiest, most awful places in India. It was repulsive. And, and Dan Rather was traveling around with her, and, and, and he went with her. And at some point, he, he looked at her and he said, I would not do what you are doing for a million dollars. Mother Teresa looked back and said, neither would I. What she was doing was so difficult. What she was doing was so ugly. 
and, and so repulsive to human nature, she would never consider doing it for money. But she would do it for Jesus. Because Jesus meant more to her than money. Jesus was precious to Mother Teresa. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. I talk to people all the time who tell me they believe in Jesus. But, but, but honestly, for some of them, it, he doesn't seem that precious to them. They blow off church at the drop of a hat. They say they believe in Jesus, but gathering together with his people to worship him doesn't seem that important to them. They say they believe in Jesus, but in practice it honestly looks like they could take him or leave him. In many ways, this passage from 1 Peter is a tale of two people. Those who believe and those who do not. Those who love and trust and fear and worship and serve and honor and obey Jesus and those who do not. And every person in this room is one of those. Is Jesus precious to you? To those who really believe in Jesus as he really is, to those who come to him as he is, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. Those who believe in and follow Jesus become, become themselves precious stones in his hands. And he himself begins to fit them and shape them and place them together with other believers in his kingdom to build a royal priesthood, to build a holy priesthood, to build something of eternal, glorious, lasting value to accomplish his kingdom purposes. Those who don't believe and follow, rather than being built together into something of eternal beauty and glory, stumble around and fall down a lot. Jesus Christ splits the world in two. Into those who build their lives on him and to those who stumble and fall on him. Into those he fashions into a kingdom people and those who will never, ever know the life they were created to live. But that still begs the question, is Jesus precious to you if he is then the bible says in jesus and because of jesus you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people belonging to god he's called you and he's shaping you right now to be a kingdom people busy about a kingdom purpose and that kingdom purpose simply put is that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light that you might everywhere you go share and show the goodness and the glory and the greatness of God. Every week we pray together for God's kingdom purpose to be fulfilled. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Years ago a bunch of people took this kingdom calling and turned it into something they called, uh, they twisted it really, into something they called the kingdom now movement. 
they, they imagine that it's our job to bring the complete fullness of God's kingdom into the world right now. We need to quit worrying about the return of Jesus and thinking about the return of Jesus. It's up to us to bring the fullness of God's kingdom into the world right now. And once we've made this world everything it's supposed to be, then Jesus can return. And I don't know, I guess they thank you. Let me be clear, that's not what we believe and that's not what I'm teaching. The Bible's very clear. There, a, a day is coming when Jesus himself is going to return and this world as you know it is going to be wiped away. Everything wrong will be made right. The righteous will be rewarded. The wicked will be punished. The perfect kingdom vision of God, the perfect kingdom dream of God that he had long before he ever made people in the first place will become the reality of every person who's come to God through Jesus. What we're studying today, we're studying from Peter's first letter. In his second letter, he talks a little bit about this. And this is way, he puts it this way. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. And the elements, the very elements themselves, will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth the home of righteousness. That's what we're waiting for. But in the meantime, and until that day arrives, we're called to live as a kingdom people, working to accomplish His kingdom purposes. And so we pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then in addition to praying, we work toward that end. The coming of God's kingdom was the fundamental message of Jesus. He preached about the kingdom of God. He taught about the kingdom of God. Everywhere he went, he brought the kingdom of God with him. And so the Bible says, at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, it says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So what is the kingdom of God? Very simply, it is the rule and the reign of God as king. And it exists wherever things go the way God wants them to go. In the pit of his heart. The kingdom of God exists where, where, where things go and where people live. According to the will and the heart and the mind and the character and the love and the nature of God. The kingdom of God exists where things go and where people live according to the plan and the purpose and the design of God. The kingdom of God is the absence of selfishness and sin and sickness and sorrow. It's the reign of the Holy Spirit where unclean spirits have no place. Jesus said at one point in his earthly ministry, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. The Apostle Paul said the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, which means is God's kingdom people. Knit together for His kingdom purposes. Everywhere you go, you are supposed to bring with you the righteousness of God and the peace of God and the joy of God. The righteousness of God and how you treat people and how you encourage people to treat one another. The, the, the peace of God, the calm, the faith, the assurance of God and the joy of God. It's supposed to follow you around delighting in God and in people and in his creation. If you've really come to Jesus as he really is, then Jesus says, right now, listen to me, right now this kingdom is growing inside of you. 
He said in Luke 17, the kingdom of God doesn't come with your careful observation because the kingdom of God is within you. And it's your job to work together as kingdom people to bring that kingdom to the world around you. There's an old uh, story from the ancient Near East about a group of men traveling together through a parched, a barren desert. As they're traveling through the desert, they come upon a compound surrounded by high walls. Four guys. One of them runs, climbs up the wall, looks over, lets out a loud whoop, jumps in, he's gone. Next guy follows suit, climbs the wall, looks over, goes woohoo, jumps in, he's on. Third guy, same thing, climbs up, yee-hee, jumps in. Third guy climbs up, looks over the top. He knows now, he looks in, he sees what all the excitement is about. Right there below him is this lush, green, beautiful, enchanted garden. Sparkling streams, pleasant groves, luscious fruit. He's standing there looking in, hanging on the wall. And though he longs to jump over and join his friend, he begins to think about all the other wayfarers wandering through the desert. And so he slides back down the outside of the wall and dedicates the rest of his life to helping other desert wanderers find the oasis. You were created and you have been called to be a kingdom people who spend your lives on God's kingdom purposes. Is Jesus genuinely precious to you? Are you working to fit in with the other people of God to be fashioned together as his kingdom people? And listen, will you commit the rest of your life to leading others to the oasis? Even if it means during that time you don't enjoy what others are. kingdom of God is at work within you and our job is to get it out you were created to be a kingdom people busy about God's kingdom purposes father we thank you for the power and the clarity of your word and lord we pray in Jesus name that you might give us grace and faith and courage and hope and wisdom to walk in it Lord, we believe you've called us to be what you say in the Bible you've called us to be. We believe you, you, you do the work. Our job is simply to walk in it, to walk in those good works you have prepared in advance that we should do. Help us to be the people you've called. Forgive us for spinning around by ourselves and enjoying our skates. Fashion us together as a team that we might work together for your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.